Time change weekend? Oh, my goodness. How many of you felt like you got a little slap on the face this morning when your alarm went off? Yeah, come on. It's no fun. I was reading this morning that, because I was like, why do we even do time change? It has to do with an agricultural thing and everything like that. But they actually show in the week uh, after that accident rates go up, heart attacks go up, all kinds of stuff. So I'm staying in bed till next Sunday. Anybody else going to join me? But the one good thing is that you're an hour closer to payday, that much, like that much closer. Yeah. So I'm trying to find the good in it. I'm not sure. Someone told me this morning, one of our worship team, who, by the way, were here super early, an extra hour, actually, so thank them. But one of them said to me, says, Pastor, this, we should just like send out a notice. We like cancel church on daylight savings weekend. Like people would thank us. I said, no, we're not going to do that. So here we go. But all week you have a built-in excuse, just like if you're late for something, uh, daylight savings. Like if you say something nasty, daylight savings. Somebody, you cut somebody off, daylight savings. Like you got a week to use that, not after this though, but here we go. Daylight savings, it feels like spring is springing finally. Some of you are hesitating because you're like, I'm not really sure. Every time that weatherman says, it's going to be just a little sprinkling, and then it's like, uh, I think Coquitlam got 25, I think it was on Thursday, 25 centimeters in 24 hours uh, when it was just going to be a light skiff. So we're all nervous about that. But uh, the, the, the in like a lion, is it? And out like a lamb marches, something like that. In other words, we don't know. I think we people just say. So I'm glad that it's uh, coming into springtime. I love uh, the sunshine. How many of you are ready for some sunshine? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. It's sunny out, right? Well, we're, I'm going to, I always uh, start off a little bit of a review of a series because the reality is some of you are hearing this series for the first time. Some of you have only been here maybe once or twice in the middle of it. So I just do a little bit of a, here's the overview of what we're doing to help us key in on what our thought is going to be this morning. So 167, it's uh, because as a church, our hope and uh, really our hope, and I think the hope of the gospel is that we would not just have moments with God, but that our lives would actually begin to be transformed by Jesus. It's why we do what we do. We believe that Jesus can still transform families. We believe that Jesus can still lead us out of anxiety into hope. We, we believe that division can be defeated, that hope can prevail where there's hopelessness, and that we can find our purpose and our meaning in life because of Jesus. And so we, we think that it's really, really important our whole life to be brought to Jesus. And the way that we see a community being transformed, the way that we see families being transformed is through a life-giving, life-transforming church that's being led by Jesus more and more. Not a building, not a place, but a people. Ephesians 1 and 23 says that the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The, the world is peripheral to the church. 
We, the people of God, are the church. And through us, God speaks to God. What does it say? God acts in the world through his people. The church is not just out here in the midst of a myriad of choices. When the church is at the center of what our life is about, we begin to interact into our world in a different way. We begin to engage in our family life in a different way. Every area of our life begins to be affected because God is at the center of it. And our life is meant to be lived from this place where God is leading, where God is speaking, where God is moving in and through our life. I love Sunday, and I love coming together like we just did. Uh, I love gathering together in worship. It's important. I love to gather together with people and to encourage one another in here, and, and it is important. But what's also important is the rest of the week. There are 168 hours in a week between now and and this same time next week, 168 hours. In other words, what we do in here is only part of the story. It's like one hour. Some of you took a little, even less than an hour today because of time change. So it's a 45 minutes maybe of your week, but it's one hour. And sometimes we believe that this is the most important thing. And it is important, but it is only important in this sense is that what happens in here affects what happens everywhere else. It all matters. It's not my church life and the rest of my life. I talk one way here and a different way out there. I speak one way here and I speak differently out here. I won't watch something here or even think about something here, but in this way I will live differently. But God is, God's uh, whole purpose is that through the church, through you, that he will speak and he will act where you play soccer at, where you watch rugby at, where you work at, the place that you serve at, your family, in every place that what, gets he, what happens here gets there, that the one affects the 167 because a city will not be changed because of only what happens in here if it doesn't get out there. Your family will not be changed if what happens in here doesn't get inside of here and begin to come out of here. And that's how God moves, that every area of our life is not... Uh, is peripheral to what God is doing in our life. It all matters. The workplace you swing a hammer in, the workplace you pull a wrench in, the nursing station that you're a part of, God wants to touch and move through you in every area of your life. What's in here has to get there. In all the 167, it all matters. Now, as we come into spring, there's something that is kind of a tradition in our family. Uh, it started when, when I grew up in the country, we always would have to go and clean the yard. It called spring cleaning. We'd be raking. The funnest thing as a kid was when you would light, on, light the grass on fire. Did anybody ever do that in the small countryside? You just light it on fire. There's things burning and all kinds of, that's the best day for, for a nine-year-old boy is something's on fire. And so that was spring cleaning. But now I live in a city that's not kind of, it's kind of looked down on in the townhouse complex is to start lighting things on fire. People kind of have issues with that. I don't know what it is, but spring cleaning. So we, we through the course of a year, how many of you find that you collect things? And clutter starts to happen in your home. And you start to trip over things. The other morning I was walking out into the garage to get into my vehicle and I knocked over a can of empty uh, pop cans and they went flying all through the garage and, and then there's something else and a fan that my, one of my students, it doesn't work anymore so she threw it in the garage and I'm stepping over that and I'm thinking, man, we've got to do some spring cleaning. Clutter 
clutter, clutter, clutter. How many of you are clutter collectors? No? Okay. Talk on, yeah, come on, put up your hand. How many of you have a drawer that things go into it and never come out? They disappear. You're not sure what's ever in there. You're careful when you put your hand around in there because you don't know what's in there. Now, usually one spouse, if you're married, is more of a clutter person than the other. This could go somewhere right now. I'll start with myself. When we got married, and our reception was right out in that foyer, actually, um, my, I think my brothers and my sister were going to go up and say a few words about me, and so I was like, be pre- so prepared. It was going to be amazing. And, and they bring all these boxes, like three large boxes, and put them on the table. I was like, oh, they're going to give me a gift. This is going to be amazing. And then they start to take things out of the box. And it was like two or three pairs of shoes, jackets, old papers, McDonald's wrappers, pop cans, everything. And it was like a table was loaded up with that. And then they proceeded to tell everybody that all of that had just been retrieved from my car. (laughs) All of it, like loads of stuff. I was like, thank you for that. I appreciate that so much. Uh, I, I was at that, in my defense, in my defense, I was working 40 hours a week, going to school full-time, and trying to keep Shanda happy. (laughs) So I didn't have time. So I'd drink a a pop and just go like that. I had clothes in the back because I had to be ready for my next date with Shanda. That's what it was about, you know? It's like back there. No, it wasn't. I was just a slob. Okay, we're moving on. (laughs) And in our house today, you would every so often, even recently, it just gets to me. There's stuff laying around, little piles of, when you have multiple people living in your house and everybody has little piles of stuff on the stairs, on the back of the chair, on the little, any flat surface is a candidate for things to be dumped on. Like I know some of you don't deal with this. Every probably, I don't know, I don't know every few months, I would just get everything. I'm picking shoes up from all over the place. Like they're like, piled like this in the entranceway because, hey, why put them in the rack? That's just there for looks. But anyway, there they were. So we would bring, I would bring them all onto the table. I'm bringing backpacks from out of the living room. I found a cat somewhere. I'm putting it onto the table. Like I'm just getting stuff. And soon on the table is a big pile like this. And I hear this, dad. I was like, here we go, kids, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to find out what's yours. If it's not claimed, it's going to the Goodwill or I'm going to, I'm going to throw it in the trash. Dad, I don't know who's it. And then the, then the battle's on. You wore that last. No, I wore it. No, it's not my thing. Whose is that? What? No. And then the battle starts and we're all to try and clean up the clutter. I don't like clutter. I come home and when there's lots of clutter, I start to like, yeah. And sometimes I... Then I, then I realized something. I like clutter in certain places, like beside my bed. I have like nine books there. I think I have a couple of old passports, a credit card, don't go in there, an old expired credit card, pens, little notepads with scraps of paper when I wake up in the night and have a thought, and I'm like, I better write that down. The next day, it's like, ba. I was like, I didn't know. I like dreamed in tongues. Like, I don't know what was going on. 
Like I got my own pile of stuff and, and I have clothes that I've worn the last few days, but they are going to be ready in case a burglar comes in. I got to be able to jump into those puppies. I know what I got going on. How many of you got some clutter by your bed? Yeah. yeah. Some of you are putting your hand up. When your wife elbows you, that's your son. Put your hand up. Clutter. It's no fun. It start to trip on it. We start to have troubles with it. Our probably biggest clutter issue, besides beside my bed, is the laundry. Our laundry gets washed. We have a washing machine for that. Don't want to make it sound like Shanda's. <laughs> we wash it. We fold it, and it goes into a basket. And it somehow rarely makes it to the drawers. It's in the basket. It's clean. And you just kind of pick through it. You find your shirt. I'm letting you in on what's going on in our family throughout the week. You're like, there's no more shirts left in there. Laundry time. And then you find another pile by your bed. <laughs> it's clutter. Like, it should be dealt with. But, hey, you're, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I just got a look right there. I just saw something like burning in my. There's this show on TV, and uh, it's a new Netflix show actually, and started uh, this Japanese lady by the name of, I think I'll get it right here, Maria, Marie Kondo. Am I right there? Something like that. Now, I don't endorse her whole methods because she does some strange things like praying to the house and all this kind of stuff. But what her premise is, is that a tidy life is a happy life. And so she says, you need to clean out. The biggest thing is your clothes. Get your kitchen organized. Everything should have a place. Your garage, all this kind of stuff. And get through because a tidy life's a happy life. And she makes it that very, very good point. Some of us have the average clutter. Some of us have extreme clutter. Uh, if, if, if there is a, a TV crew coming up to film at your house... You might want to clean up some of the clutter. Uh, they have a show for that called Hoarders. But some, some, you, have path, some you might have pathways through. I, I, if you've ever watched that show, it's scary. Like what people, like in reality, have real psychological issues that cause them to, to hoard in that way. Uh, animals living in it, all kinds of that. So there's regular clutter, clutter. There's extreme clutter in our house and all that. You're like, are you doing a show on cluttering? What's going? Where are you going, Pastor? I'll tell you. Because whatever our physical spaces, whatever our homes or our cars may look like, and if you have small children in your van, it's not good. We all know. You find Cheerios in there, like years later, you'll be like, your kids will be gone to college, and you'll reach in, and there will come out a Cheerio. You're like, it hasn't even changed. And then, if it's Honey Nut Cheerios, anyway. Right? I don't know where these, some, these like, thoughts are going through my head right now. My struggle. But whatever our physical spaces, whatever our vehicles might look like, most of us have varying levels of clutter in the most important area of our heart. Where we pick up things and we just kind of, over time, seem to add things into our life that... We trip on, they bother us, they're, we're not happy with them, but there they are. It could be unresolved offenses. Like, like, like every year when we do that clean in our, in our house, in our garage, I'm like, it will never get messy again. How many of you have ever said that? 
And then you're like, six months later, you're like, oh my goodness, where has all this come? Sometimes life is like that. It's never going to happen again. It's not, I'm never going to get bitter again. I'm never going to be anxious again. I'm never going to be hateful towards that person again. I'm never. But somehow we clutter and things start to find their way into our life and addiction starts to find its way. We're tripping over that and the reading habits that we once thought, no, I'm never going to do that again. There they are back in there. And we have that controlling attitude that we have towards our spouse that we're like, I've dealt with it, but ah, here it is again. Uh, foul language that all kinds of stuff, fear, betrayal, uh, that just starts to be tripping over and affecting our lives. Uh, sexual sin that we thought, no, I will never. And here I am again, addiction issues with pornography, addiction issues, where I go to alcohol and wine and all kinds of things to bring comfort to myself and perfectionism and oh, I just don't care about things. And little by little, things start to get a little cluttered and you're tripping over things in your life. And we justify them sometimes and we don't intend to have it, but somebody did it to me and it's not my fault that that's there. They're responsible for that thing that's in my life. Other times we refuse to acknowledge the clutter in our life. No problem here. Move along, Pastor. Other times we simply unaware. It's just the way I am. And we settle for how we are today. Well, it's just the kind of a Miller thing, or it's just a whatever your family thing. That's the way we are. Just a cultural thing. We're Scotsmen. We're cheap. Why would I claim that? I don't want to be. I'll be generous. So there's all kinds of things that we just kind of, eh, it's just the way it is. Then there's a clutter of living with other people's clutter. Most of us think that someone else's clutter is much worse than ours. And it isn't true. That's why we notice it. We point it out. But the clutter of our life, the clutter of other people's life, ends up messing with our life. It trips us up. It strains our relationship. It robs our joy. Stops us from moving forward. We think we're going, and then we trip over that issue that's cluttering up our thinking, the way of perspective that's poisoning our heart. Little things. Tidying up. Cleaning up. Spring cleaning. What if you could clean up the clutter and live a tidy life? I'm not talking about your clothes. Some things are beyond God even. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But live a life of joy, of freedom, incredible growth, the unlimited life that Jesus intends for us rather than the life limited by the clutter of our experiences and our past and the hurt and the pain and the issues that we've had to walk through. Whether you're 16 or you're 81, we all got stuff. It clutters up. It just kind of shows up in strange ways. Acts 19, we're just going to go there quickly when moving our way around through Acts, but I want to, this is a, in Acts 19, verse 11, God kept releasing a flow of extraordinary miracles, the NIV says unusual miracles, through the hands of Paul. Because of this, people took, imagine this, people took Paul's handkerchiefs and articles of clothing, even pieces of cloth that had touched his skin and they would lay them on the bodies of the sick and diseases and demons leave, left them and they were healed. Wow. Incredible. Then there's another story which I'll talk about in a moment but then down to verse 17. All the people in Ephesus were awestruck. 
Both Jews and non-Jews, when they heard what had happened, great fear fell over the entire city, and the authority of the name of Jesus was exalted. Many believers publicly confessed their sins and disclosed their secrets. Large numbers of those who had been practicing magic took all their books and scrolls of spells and incantations and publicly burned them. When the value of all their books and scrolls were calculated, it all came to several million dollars. The power of God caused the word to spread, and the people were greatly impacted. Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was an important city. It was a port city, kind of like a Vancouver. Uh, they, historians think it had between 130, 170,000 in Walled City. It was a city that was the center of worship to the goddess Diana. It was a city of influence. And in the middle of that city, Paul is preaching. And uh, he began to, from there, impact the whole area. In fact, it says in a verse before the one we read, that all of Asia heard about what was happening because of what God was doing in Paul's life there. He had been there for about two years straight, almost, uh, and teaching and preaching and seeing things happen and miracles. And he wrote a letter later to the, that church called the Book of Ephesians, uh, in the New Testament to this church in Ephesus. But all over, there was un unusual miracles happening. Would that be incredible that if you, like, came to church or wherever, the person who was preaching or whatever, and you, like, came in, like, there's their uh, handkerchief, they put it down, you're, like, grabbing it so you can, like, put it onto somebody. Like, incredible power. Now, the power is not in that, and we, I don't want to get into a, a whole distraction of that, but other than to say that God was moving powerfully. And then there's another story that, that I'm only for brevity I'm going to talk about is that there on the other side of it, there was such an incredible power encounter that some people were trying to uh, play with the other side, the, the, the demonic or the dark side or the devil, and ended up it, this whole altercation happened where uh, they were attacked by somebody who was uh, working with demonic powers. And so these two contrasts are happening in the 167, if you will, where God was moving and the enemy was moving, and in all of of that, the people of God were like, oh my goodness, this is real. And that has to happen in your life at some point. If you're a follower of Jesus, where this is real. I'm not playing a game. I'm not just kind of doing something in one hour here. But every area of my life is, can be and should be affected, uh, affected. The spiritual world is real. We don't go looking for the devil behind everything that happens, nor do we pretend that he doesn't exist because he does. But it is serious that Jesus has come to give life and life abundantly. But there's also a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So there's two things happening in the moment in this story. And they're happening in your moment, in your story every day. God wants to move and the enemy wants to stop you from moving. God wants to help you launch you forward and the enemy wants to trip you up and clutter your life with all kinds of things. And so in the middle of all this, there's, it talks about that there were believers, people who walked with God, who were suddenly in the middle of like, oh my goodness, motivated to deal with the stuff of their life. They realized that I have two pathways. One is life and life abundant, or another pathway that is steal, kill, and destroy. And so suddenly they Followers of Jesus came out and says they publicly confessed their sins. I don't know how they did that in a small group or with two friends or at the front of the church or what, but they, they, things that were secret and hidden away suddenly came to the front. And then they bring all their books of magic because it was a center of that and piles them up and they think that it was around $6 million in today's money of books. 
that they just piled and burned because they were serious about getting right with God. And it says that the word spread and people were impacted in the rest of the, the city. Now, you might be tempted to slough this off and say, well, that's, that's uh, you know, I don't have any magic books, Pastor. Like, I haven't done any of that ever. Like, I did some, like, Bloody Mary when I was a kid or whatever you might be, but, like, I don't have, like, ooh, none of that's happening in my home. But what is happening here is that simply trying to do and live and run our lives outside of God. So we go to all kinds of things, and we clutter our life in that way. And Paul said earlier, he wrote, or as I said earlier, Paul wrote to the book or to the Ephesians in, and uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he talks a little bit more detail about what the clutter of life may look like, and then we're going to rock it along. So since you heard about Jesus, he's talking to the, this same church, and you have learned the truth that comes from him, let's say that italicized word, throw up, altogether, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let's say, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Like real subtle, Paul. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we all parts of the same body. And don't let sin... Or don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Interestingly, a foothold becomes a stronghold, and if you don't deal with it, eventually it'll become a stranglehold on your life. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. Have you ever thought of that like... I'm just going to pick on that one thing. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything. No sarcasm. No belittling. No joking about somebody. No gossiping. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. Now he starts with a statement. Throw off some things. And that word simply means to put some distance. It's like a ship that goes away from the shore and, and leaves. It says, I'm going to get away from that. Put some distance between who you were and who God has called you to be. Your old ways of thinking, throw them off. Your old ways of uh, believing, throw them off. Your old ways of acting, throw them off. Your old perspectives, throw them off. And he says, because what God wants to do in your life needs to affect the rest of your life. The one must affect the 167. It's not enough to just have a moment with God. God wants to actually change the momentum of your life because of a moment that actually begins to affect everything that we do. So he uses this word to describe what that clutter does. He says, he says it's corrupting you. And that word corruption means to be like salt working on metal. Corrodes it. It makes it more, uh, less and less effective. And it begins to eat a hole in it. And the things that we allow to clutter our life are corroding our souls. Are corroding our relationships. Are corroding our perspective. Are poisoning our purpose in all kinds of ways when we allow these things to clutter our life. My first car was a Honda Civic for $50. It had an interesting feature. When you drove, you could see through what the road you were driving on. You had to be careful where you put your, and when it was raining, you had to put a plastic bag in there so your feet didn't get wet. You know you have a, a junky car when you can see. I was like, Fred Flintstone moments were going to happen any moment. 
But that's what rust does, and that's what these, the clutter of our soul, when we allow things to clutter our soul and we don't clean up the clutter, it corrupts our soul. You might be thinking, oh, it's willpower. Just stop doing it, but it's more than that. Paul, uh, in Ephesians 2, it says, for you were, you were dead in your trans- transgressions and sin. In other words, over here, you couldn't do anything about changing your life, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive in Christ. Even when you were dead, he made you alive. He was, because of his great love, because he is rich in mercy, you couldn't change the way you lived. You couldn't change your perspective for more than a moment. But because God began to work on you from the inside, suddenly everything begins to change. Because now it's not trying to change my behavior. I actually live from a different place. Because God, the God of the universe, comes and lives inside of me and begins to empower me, begins to help me to live my life the way that he's called me to live. It's no longer just willpower, it's his power. Because of Jesus, I am a new creation. Because of Jesus, I can have a fresh start. Because of Jesus, what was impossible for me can become possible. Because of Jesus, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith. It's not about a book, it's about a a Savior. It's about an event where God became flesh and dwelt among us. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again so that the same spirit that lived in Jesus that raised him from the dead lives in you. And you can become what he says you are. You can be who he says you are. You can do what he says you do. It's not by your willpower. It's by his power. In Jesus, that means that my best days are always in front of me. In Jesus, I am not the product of my past. In Jesus, my failure will not determine my future. In Jesus, all things can be made new. I can be in the middle of an addiction right now. And because of Jesus, my best days are before me. Because of Jesus, my my past is not determining my future. That's the hope of the gospel, and it's always the hope of the gospel. When you come to Jesus and you've been walking with him for 50 years, it doesn't stop being the hope of the gospel. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You need Jesus, whether you've been walking with him for 54 years or it's been 12 minutes since the transition. We need Jesus. Well, what do you all mean, Craig? How do I, if that's all true, why am I still dealing with clutter in my life? I'm still angry. I'm still cursing. I'm still dealing with perfectionism. I still feel anxious at this time. I still fail. I'm still fighting with my spouse. I'm still struggling with porn. So after saying throw off and put it off your old ways, Paul has this incredibly powerful yet simple phrase. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. It's God's power, not yours. Willpower alone won't do it. His power. Willpower gives you short-term bursts and not transformation. And it says, let the Spirit renew. That means it's a process. It's a process, little by little. Jesus is all about the renewal of all things. Renewing of your thinking. Renewal of your perspective. Renewal of your body. Renewal of your hope. Renewal of... Renewal. 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 All things new. Sometimes we hear that we might be tempted to one extreme. Well, then I don't have to do anything. It's all up to God. Just 
It's him. Partially true, but not all true. Partial truth, because here it is. Paul says, put off, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, and then put on. Who's putting off? It's you. Who's putting on? It's you. Who's in the middle of it all? It's Jesus. You're putting off because of the power of Jesus inside of you. You can put on new ways, new thinking, new perspective, new hope, new vision, new drive, new dreams, new... Put it off. Put it on. Because Jesus provides the power to change so you can work the process of change. It's not either or. It's both. You need to cooperate with Jesus inside of you. Because Jesus can say, hey, we're going to go here. But if you don't move, you're not going to go there. But God promised you this. But if you don't cooperate with him, you're not going anywhere. God is incredibly powerful, but you need to cooperate with him. Jesus provides the power to change so you can work the process of change. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what does that practically look like. We're going to go back to Acts 19 and it says, talks about how they all begin to acknowledge their issue. Acknowledge your clutter. It's the first thing you got to do if you're going to cooperate with Jesus. Acknowledge you got some clutter. Acknowledge that I got some issues. I got some stuff. They realized that those that in Ephesians that they, they, they had some things that were mess, messing up their lives. They had secrets that no one knew about. They had sinful habits that were corrosive to their spirit. They had little things that they once or would never have had anything to do with have now found their way into their life. Mark Twain, though, said this. He said, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. For some of us, it's a life pattern. But you will never be free of something you refuse to acknowledge. What lives in the dark, if you've been around me for any long time, what lives in the dark dies in the light. You can refuse to acknowledge it, and you will always have it. Or you can acknowledge it and say that's, just, that's the first step. You can't control what happened to you, but you can control how you respond to it. My response is my responsibility. I, if I went through this whole place, all of us have a story of some great painful thing that happened to us. The difference between those that move on and those that never move forward are the ones who say, I don't know why it happened. I don't like that it happened. But God, with God's help, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. With God's help, I'm going to move on. Some things happened to me that when I was three or four years old, I never even verbalized or acknowledged them. Incredibly painful things, shameful things. But because of the shame that I felt and the deep emotion that connected to them, I felt like I was broken. I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I always had, um, I didn't want anyone to see. Mm. And I was tired of the work of trying to feel good enough in my pain. And I didn't tell anybody for 35 years. But one day, I acknowledged it. You know what? I never even spoke of it for 35 years. Not once. But I acknowledged the pain that was there. And it was the start of a journey. Because we don't want anybody to see our clutter. We don't want anyone to see our mess. When someone's coming over, we're scurrying around, getting the last things cleared up. We don't want anybody to see it. We do that with our life too. But when I'm at my worst, Jesus still sees me at my best. When I'm at my worst... Jesus still sees me at my best. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. There is no shame from God. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love for his love, his perfect love drives out fear. Jesus provides the power to change so you can work the process of change. Next, acknowledge your clutter. Ask for help with your clutter. It says they confessed and they disclosed it. In other words, what was unknown became known. That is our greatest fear in life, I think. That we will, people will know who we really are. James 4, 6, though, says this. He gives grace, that's God, generously. That's his power. Grace is another word. It means power. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives you power. He gives you power when you're humble and say, God, I need your help. I ask for your help because God can only heal what you will reveal. God can only heal in you what you will reveal to him. It begins with simply confessing to God, forgive me, heal me. In my late 20s and my 30s, I was dealing with a clutter of frozen feelings connected to what happened very, very young. Constantly battling for approval, constantly trying to, never feeling good enough. So a regular prayer of mine became, Jesus, I don't know what is messed up inside of me, but I know I'm messed up. Please help me. I give you permission, and I give you even invitation to fix me on the inside because I'm not good at it. I need your help. Sometimes it means forgiving someone that hurt you, things that you didn't deserve, things that never should have happened. People who should have been in your corner were instead against you, things you didn't deserve. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did was right. Forgiveness is simply a key that sets you free. Other times it means texting a friend who knows me and says, I'm battling some anxiety today. Can you pray for me? Every time I've discovered this, every time that I'm open, appropriately open with people that are close to me, people's, the light bulb turns on in their head and they go, I thought it was only me. And we have to have a culture that says, it's okay to be in process. That's what Jesus said. He's renewing you. That means I'm not there yet. So when I'm in process, I'm accepted, I'm loved, and like Jesus said to the wo a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He loved her so much. They loved her where she was, but he loved her too much to just leave her where she was and say, there's hope for your life. You can move on and beyond that. No matter what other people have labeled you, no matter what you've labeled yourself, there's hope for you in the gospel. Every time that I'm open, God does something. And sometimes asking for help means talking to a pastor, talking with a counselor, few years ago, I know something was off. I don't even know what it was. I just felt like a, a wave of stuff come over me. So I went and I was like, I prayed. I did all my things. And I felt like I was supposed to go talk to a counselor. And I did. And it helped. It helped a lot. If you need to talk to a counselor, talk to a counselor. If you need to ask for help from a friend, ask for help from a friend. But whatever it takes, ask for help. Don't stay living with clutter when God has a purpose for your life and needs you to be all that he's called you to be. He's empowering you from the inside. The power of Jesus, or Jesus provides the power to change so that you can work the process of change. Number three, don't quit. Real simple, don't quit. You know the word that says, that it says that they came. And that word for came in there says they came and they kept on coming. They came and they kept on coming. I blew it. Keep on coming. Blew it again. Keep on coming. Keep on coming back. When it 
talks about the people coming to confess their secret. It means that word is translated. They came and they kept on coming. They kept at it. They weren't playing. They piled their clutter. They burned it. They weren't going back. They burned those books. They were like, they didn't like say, I'm going to keep that in case, you know, I want to show somebody the way my life used to be. No, they burned it to the ground. They wanted nothing to do with the way that they were because the way that they were is not who they were. The way that they were was the way they used to act, but they were being created in Christ Jesus to be new. And so it, maybe it means you have to drop some friends who are more interested in partying with you than they are in promoting you. You might have to drop some things that you think are so important to you but are not helping you. You might have to go to a flip phone so you can break the addiction of porn in your life. Maybe it means you have to send an apology letter to somebody that you've cut out of your life and send a gift while you're at it. Maybe it means that you let go of the offense against someone who has hurt you. I don't know. But you have to do whatever it takes to cut off what was so that you can be who God's called you to be today. They weren't going back. Proverbs 24 and 16, don't quit. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise up again. Again, though the righteous fall seven times. Did you get that? Who falls? Even good people fall. Even godly people fall. And so why are we so shocked when other people blow it? We have a lot more grace for ourselves than we do for others sometimes. But righteous people fall sometimes. Good people fall sometimes. They make mistakes sometimes. But though they fall, they will not quit. They get up again. When you fall once, you get up again. And you fall another time, you get up again. You trip, you get up again. The only way you lose if you stop getting up. Get up again. I love it. It says seven times. You can think there's all kinds of special meanings of the word seven. But I just think of it seven times. How many days in a week? So in other words, every day I get up again, no matter what. His mercy is our new every morning. Every day I start to say, God, thank you for today. Thank you that I can do all things through you who gives me strength. Thank you that today I kind of made it. But today I'm going to do better with your help, God, today. You have given me the power, and I'm going to work the process. I'm going to put off who I was, and I'm going to put on who I am because I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creature. Everything that you said I can do, I can do. You only lose if you don't get back up. Anytime you're doing something new, this is study after study after study shows this. It says that when you start, it first goes like this. You're trying to do some new change. It goes like this, and then it has a little dip. And most people quit in the dip. Don't quit in the dip. If it dips, get back up and keep going. Get back up and keep going. The recovery world says one day at a time. And you know where that kind of comes from? Jesus said, give me this day my daily bread. One day at a time. Sometimes it's not one day. Sometimes it's one hour. Sometimes it's not one hour. It's one minute. Sometimes it's not one minute. It's like right now, give me the help I need to Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than I used to be. And people who are greatly impacted in moments with God, God does something in their life that takes them into the 167 and through them. And I love what it says, that at the end of it all, people were greatly impacted. What had they done? Confessed, repented. God, have your way in my life. And your life is greatly impacted. Dealing with the clutter. Small things can make a big difference. How many of you have ever tried to walk around with a pebble in your shoe? 
the smallest little pebble irritating you, and you're trying to shake it out, and you're trying, you don't want to take off your shoe, and it's in there, but there it is, and it's bothering you, bruising your heel, and, but if you stop, dump the rock out, you go way, 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 way faster, and you won't be miserable and all that. A tidy life is a happy life. So we deal with the clutter of our life. If you can't think of any that you have, Ask somebody who's close to you. They probably have a list. <laughs> My wife does for me. I know. I'm more <laughs> in all honesty. I have a list of things that I say, Jesus, I need your help in. There's still times where I get anxious about things that I shouldn't get anxious about. There's still times where I get frustrated, most often in traffic. I should hire a driver for myself because, <laughs> but deal with the clutter of life because at the bottom line, Jesus provides the power to change so you can work the process of change. So I invite you to stand to your feet. It's not either or, it's both and. Jesus empowers you to put off. Jesus empowers you to put on. But it starts with, is Jesus at the center of it all? Is Jesus at the center of your life? Because Jesus provides the power to change so you can work the process of change. This with every head bowed and every eye closed, I always believe in responding to the word of God and as it's preached. So if you're here and you have not made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, just bow your head, close your eyes, give privacy to the people around you. I'm going to ask you in a moment if, to consider surrendering your life to Jesus. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to ask you to put up your hand in a moment, and I want to pray with you, and we'll pray together. So if you're here and you have not made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, just put up your hand and I'm going to pray with you. On my right, your left. Yeah. Down the middle, anyone? My left, your right. 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 So you want to pray with me, family? Jesus, I thank you that you make all things new. I surrender my life to you. Forgive my sin. I surrender and ask you to have your way. Come in and lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, every head up, every eye open. You say, Pastor, I've got some clutter that I need some help with with Jesus. Just throw your hand up right now. Come on. Come on, all around. Yeah, we're going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you help us to deal with our clutter, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you that from the youngest to the oldest, Lord Jesus, that you are renewing us day by day, helping us to put off and to put on, to put off what we were and put on who you've called us to be. We acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. In the strong name of Jesus, Lord, Lord, that you would help us to identify, help us to cooperate with you. You'll see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you respond? It's going to throw up a screen on the screen there. What's our next step? 
great next step is Grow Track, where you can begin to serve alongside people and begin to find your purpose. The next thing, we if you have not been to a set free retreat, what we just talked about, we will help you and give you tools to walk this out so you can stay clutter free. It'll be hugely helpful for your life. It doesn't mean everything is going to go away, but we're going to put tools in your hand that will literally help transform your your relationship with Jesus and your, your, your life, the way you live life. I don't want to oversell it, but I have seen it happen again and again. You can go to horizonfam.ca anytime, click on signups, and we'll give you more information. And if you're still in the middle of it all, trying to figure it all out, come back next week.